It's always good to blame the kids. Get away with it. <laughs> You're the pastor. You? <clears throat> now the missional church and some uh, a topic I hear a lot about, and um, and it was great to be able to study it and to look at the Great Commission. And uh, I pray that what I've got out of it will be able to pass on to you and communicate to you well. Um, the vision for Montmorency Gospel Chapel Community Church, um, I, I hope it's the same. It's, it's what I got from my father-in-law, so someone else I can blame. But our vision for Montmorency Gospel Chapel is it's wrong. <laughs> um, is to become a dynamic, dynamic community of faith which uses all possible means consistent with scripture to intentionally connect people with a life that counts for eternity by helping them become fully committed followers of Christ. And I know we summarise that, I think, with bringing people to maturity in Christ. And Montmorency, the place here, there's um, around 9,000 people uh, that live in this little area we call Monty. Um, about half, over half, about 5,000 of those people call themselves Christians in this area. The average household income for Montmorency is around $110,000 and yet there is one in ten in Montmorency who the sheriff is chasing down for unpaid unpaid fines. (laughs) Just under half the population in Montmorency is under 35 and nearly three quarters of the population is under 50. It, it gives you an idea, it's a, quite a young demographic. If you just go a bit beyond Montmorency into the surrounding suburbs, you, there's just under 300 people that need day-to-day care because of disability. There's nearly 100 high school age students under 18 years old that are classified as homeless because of majority, because of household abuse and domestic violence. So we ask the question, why is it we are here in Montmorency as God's people? Why is it we're here? What does God expect from us as we gather here and meet mainly on a Sunday morning? Last words... Uh, generally leave a fair impression on us. If you are with a a dying person, perhaps a loved one, that that says something to you just before they pass away, it's generally something that you'll take with you for the rest of your life. It's generally something which is pretty emotional that that, that means something, it brings some purpose into your life. The last words that we hear from Jesus Christ are, are found in a number of places and we'll look at those this morning, um, but specifically in Matthew 28, uh, 16 to 20. And if you'd open your Bibles, we'll look at those verses now, read them to you. Jesus' last words were his, his mission statement, his vision statement for the church. And it says in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them them doubted. (laughs) Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When we think about missional church, we need to understand a couple of things. One is that we are not a missional church just because we've sent missionaries away or they've gone overseas and we support them financially. We're not a missional church because we have missional-minded leaders and we won't be seen as a missional church because we have a missions committee and and that's great that we have that but that's not what brings purpose and meaning to a missional church but it is a church that has missional minded people people that have their a heart for mission and the mission isn't anything new the mission is what Jesus gave his disciples the command to make disciples and it's our mission this morning that we would follow the command of God to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus said in John seventeen eighteen, that Father as you have sent me so you, I send my disciples into the world and as God sent Jesus for a mission for a purpose Jesus now with his disciples and for us today is sending us into the world for a purpose. In the Greek text there is one imperative verb, one real command and and it sometimes gets um, confusing and sometimes it gets misinterpreted that that the most important thing is that we are to go, that we are to pack everything up and, and go somewhere in order to make disciples but that, that's, not, that's not actually true. The most important thing, the, most, uh, the biggest command that, God give, that Jesus gives here, in fact the only one, is to make disciples and, and that command, that imperative verb there to make disciples is then surrounded by three participles, three things that characterise that command and they are that you are going, that you are baptising and that you are teaching. Now I've had to um, call upon my Spanakopita delivery man again because there's a few Greek words that we need to, to look at but even this one stumped him so it's a bit of a guessing game. Uh, the Greek word mathetuo, so that's my guess, mathetuo, that, that's the verb that's used here for, for disciple and, and it carries the idea of a, a believer and a learner a believer and a learner, not just one who believes because as I see that's a different word altogether and it's not just one who learns and gains knowledge because that would be a different word as well. Now this word gives the impression of, of a believing learner, one who believes and continues then to learn upon, based upon what he's believed in. And so it's a believing learner, one who believes in Christ in faith, who is then goes on to follow a life of learning and obedience to him. That's the idea of making disciples. That's what 
we're commanded to do. That's our mission, to make learning believers, believing learners. And Jesus said in John 8.31, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. The real disciple, the genuine disciple, one who not only believes in faith but remains faithful to the commands and the teachings of Jesus Christ. So the mission of the church can really be defined pretty simply as saying we're making believing learners out of all the nations of the world, wherever we may be. This morning I want to look at three attitudes which describe a disciple of Christ who has a heart for mission, for his mission. First one is availability, worship and obedience. In verse 16 it says that the 11 disciples left for Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. That they were available and made available to the place and obedient to where Jesus had told them to go. That I'm sure there are other places they could have been and other things they could have been doing. But their attitude was that I need to be available to where Jesus needs me, that available to where that Jesus can use me. And it's where I think it's where it all starts. Um, it all starts not with knowing where you're going, uh, not with knowing how long for, or how long am I going to be doing this for, or um, exactly what we're going to be doing, but just with an attitude of being available. Just an attitude that says, God, I don't know why and I don't know where but I'm here right now and I'm available, I'm walking with you, I'm reading your word and wherever it is, at whatever cost. An attitude of availability so that God can then use me wherever he plans and wherever he wants to use me to make disciples. Is there anything that you can think of this morning and this is really challenging for me during the week that is holding us back for this morning from just saying, Lord, I'm available. Maybe where I'm at right now is where you want me to make disciples but you know what, I'm available either way. If you need me somewhere, I'm available for you to take me and to use me continually see the blessings that, of, of God using people through the Bible from Noah and, and, and you know, to young Samuel who, who just said, here I am, Lord. Through David and Daniel and, and now to his disciples and his disciples are available. The second attitude I want to look at is worship. It says that when they saw him, they worshipped him. And it does say that some of them doubted and although my translation says doubted, I sort of came across a a better translation that gave better meaning of of hesitated. That I'm sure there were those there that had deserted Jesus when he was to be killed. There There would have been people with guilt and shame 
in their hearts and probably showing on their faces when Jesus came, raised from the dead and came towards them on that mountain. But I'm sure it didn't take long before they fell and worshipped Jesus Christ. And when we talk about an attitude of worship, we're not talking about an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. but a life of worship and this statement I got from um, the, the, the values of, of Montmorency uh, Community Church which I really liked it's that our life would be a reflection of how we value God by the way that we live. A life that is constantly in God's control. A life surrendered to him. A life that on a Monday morning cringes at the fact that people are using Jesus Christ's name in vain. A life that speaks volumes of the love of God without using words where people see God in your life. A life surrendered to him that no matter the circumstances that life brings us, that God is number one priority, that he is in control. Do we see an attitude of worship when we leave this place every week today? Is there an attitude of worship when we go to our workplace, our schools, our our communities? It's fair to presume if we are to fulfil the Great Commission that if we're going to be part of this of this mission of of God's to make disciples of people. That it's very, very necessary we would have an attitude of worship. And thirdly, obedience. We are generally generally obedient to laws. Now I say generally because I've already mentioned one in ten are uh, are being chased by the sheriff here in Monty. Um, But we are generally obedient to laws and rules and, and workplace agreements and, uh, and parents and, um, and all these types of things because there is some kind of authority that is over us as we go to those places. So there's police and there's governments and uh, employees, uh, oh sorry, employers um, and, and because of that authority then we are generally find ourselves obedient to, to, to the authority that is over us in those places. And the word authority here that is used is not a word that gives meaning of of might or power or or great strength, um, perhaps of of an army or a leader who has taken over land because of war and sort of stands there as now possessing that land because they won some sort of war. It's not to do with that, it's actually a word that gives meaning that it, it is something that is rightfully Yours, and so the authority is something that is given to Jesus, but it's rightfully His to have authority over heaven and earth. And there is no one who can compete with His authority. There is no one who can question His authority or His ways. It is rightfully His to have and exercise. He has the authority to take Mount Everest and to pick it up and put it into the ocean. 
He has the authority to bring rain upon the earth when it hasn't rained for years. He has the authority to make the crops grow when it hasn't been a harvest for years. But you know, much more miraculous and much more amazing than what those things might look to us and, and, and seeing the rain come down when it hasn't rained for years. Much more amazing than that is that he has the authority to forgive us of our sins. He has the authority to make us right with God Almighty. He has the authority to bring peace into your life that surpasses all understanding. He has the authority to promise eternal life in heaven with, with him. And on this authority follows the command to make disciples of all nations. Yet I find myself I find myself at times struggling to trust God. I find myself at times struggling to be obedient to his ways. We must grasp this morning the enormity of the fact that Jesus has all authority over the spiritual and the physical of heaven and earth because the command to make disciples is not an easy command to follow. But we are called yet to obedience to it because Jesus is in control and the promise that he is with us always. The one who has authority is with us always. As we spoke earlier, there are three things that characterise the command to make disciples and I want to just briefly touch on those now they are that we are to go to baptise and teach a better translation of verse 19 is actually um, the meaning as you go or, or having gone and then the command to make disciples of all nations you see, Jesus says in Acts 1 8, another time when just before he ascends into heaven, he's with his disciples there. He says that when the Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, local, to where they were, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, having gone is, is actually, when he says go, like having gone. It's actually a presumption that he makes in saying that you are to be obedient to this command of making disciples and I'm presuming that you're going because you need to actually go in order to make disciples. So it's not so much about packing up all you have and selling everything you have because I need to make disciples, I need to go somewhere. 
but it's just the fact that you are going and as you go, make disciples of all nations, wherever it may be. In Montmorency, in Banyul, in Melbourne, in the ends of the earth. Secondly, we are to baptise and baptism is um, the outward expression of an inward decision to accept Christ as Saviour and Lord. Not only is, um, is baptism a public confession to tell people of the decision you've made to make Jesus Christ Saviour and Lord in your life, but, but also it is the first step, real sort of step of obedience in following God and his teachings and Jesus' teachings and commands. And we continually read of the fact that accepting Christ as your Saviour goes hand in hand with baptism. In Mark 16, 15 to 16 it says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and baptised will be saved. Acts 2.38, Repent of your sins. Turn to God and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness of your sins. And Ephesians 4, 5 speaks of one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And while baptism isn't what saves us, it's definitely the, an important first step of obedience to our new master, our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and continually, if you look at Acts, continually as the church is being set up that there is um, this, I think around Acts 15 and 16 especially but there's a huge amount of, of conversions and baptism and conversions and, and people being baptised and, and telling and showing everyone look I've made a decision to follow Christ. It's important that we are obedient to baptism So having gone, make disciples and as you do that, as you bring them to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, demonstrate obedience by baptism. And thirdly, I want to look at his teaching. Teach them all things I have commanded you. You know, Jesus had commanded a lot he had spoken to his disciples a lot and, and some of it was written down but you know there's this great verse John 14, 26 and it says that I'll send you the Holy Spirit and the Spirit will bring all things to your remembrance whatever I have said and you know we, we have the words of Christ here we, we have the teachings that he gave And it's what we are to teach others. It's what we are to take and learn and read for ourselves in order that we can understand it. In order that we can then teach others all about it. That there's no options on what we can teach but we are to teach all of it. All of what Jesus has commanded and taught. And when we can grasp it and understand it and, and communicate it and teach it to others, we're not only 
helping them grow in their walk, but not only helping them mature in their faith in Christ, excuse me, but also what we're doing is equipping them then to go and make disciples of all nations and teach. I, I came across this um, interesting little uh, story. It doesn't need too much explanation uh, at the end or definition. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut and there was only one boat. But the few there devoted themselves to keeping a constant watch over the sea and with no thought for their own safety, they went out day and night, tirelessly rescuing the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little life-saving station and it became quite famous. So some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and they wanted to give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. So there were new boats bought and crews were trained and the little life station started to grow. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who were saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots and beds and put better furniture in the large building. Now the life-saving station became popular, a great gathering place for its members and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as, as a sort of club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions so they hired lifeboat crews to do the work and about this time a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the hired crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. The beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where the victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership and most of the members wanted to stop the life-saving activity because they were a hindrance and unpleasant to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted on life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out they were still a life-saving station after all. They were finally voted down and told if they wanted to save the lives of various kinds of people shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast, which they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. It evolved into a club and another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself and if you visit the coast today you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent but most of the people drown. If we're to be seen as a missional church in this place of Montmorency 
we firstly need to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, are we missional people? Do we live with an attitude of availability to the calling of God? Do we live in worship to our Saviour and our Lord? Do we live in obedience to his teachings and his commands? That he would use us in Montmorency, in Melbourne, in Australia, in China, in India, to the ends of the earth. Lord and God, we thank you for your word and its truth. Would we take it and study it and read it and spend time with you and walk close with you and be obedient to it that wherever we may go we would be available, we'd be people of worship and we'd be obedient to your calling of making disciples. Wherever it may be, would it be true of us as we leave this place today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.